Today we got to talk to Brett Breyer, home health pediatric man about town. So Brett went to, we didn't talk about this, but he went to A&M. He has a degree in veterinary sciences, has always been, he's always kind of been his own guy. They started a healthcare service, home healthcare service, sold the service to concentrate on the software, focus on pediatrics, and, um, and he's really just kind of got a lot of good little nuggets of advice for, you know, people that are trying to start or, or serial entrepreneurs. Serial entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Or I thought that it was very interesting. Um, when talking about almost developing a brand and going with Cub Hub mm -hmm. and creating that niche. And I think you've said this before, niches make riches. Oh yeah. So um, you definitely see that come to life with his companies and, and what they do and kind of their take on things. Yeah. I, I love the idea of like, I don't know if I love it for myself, but yeah. I love it for them <laughs> of holding themselves accountable to, yeah, accountable. we're going to name it Cub Hub so we can't do anything but pediatric software, mm -hmm. which was a really, I mean, it's a super niche down mm -hmm. thing to where he's almost... You know, that that's one of the, the things that you'll hear from like great industrialists and entrepreneurs were kind of two things, which is I don't want competition. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not looking for it. I want an unfair advantage. I want to be in a place where no one can compete with me. And that's kind of what they did. Yeah. And yeah. and they're 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 building something that, you know, can can really take over that part of the market. Yeah. And finding something that there is a need for and sticking to it and not straying from that, not getting too big for your riches and really giving the time for those people who do need that software and not growing up and then kind of putting them to the wayside and moving yeah. on. It's, to it's, the bigger thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of keeping that focus in one spot. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And I think it's also going to set them up in the future for mm -hmm. when somebody else goes, why build a competitive, you know, pediatric software solution when we can just buy that one. Right. Right. So that's, uh, that's probably going to be, a, a good looking exit for them at some point. Yeah. And then they can go do the Danish thing. Yeah. They're collages. <laughs> <laughs> so very, very much a Texas thing to do. Yeah. Uh, very, you know, a lot of German influence there. So, right. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's get on with it. I hope you guys enjoy it. Today we're, we've got Brett Breyer on our hands. He's, um, I don't, Brett, I, I mean, we met through our wives, but, how long have we known each other? Yeah. So, um, well, how long have you been married? 10 years, 12 years. Okay. Wait, cut that Amelia. <laughs> this is my 13th year of marital bliss. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I guess we met when y'all were dating and then, so I've known you somewhere in the 13 to 15 year mark, uh, yeah. somewhere in that, in that time frame. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> I think, during that time. So I think when we met, I was running Vivicare, which was my pediatric uh, home nursing company. And um, that was my first official, like my business, even though since I graduated college, I've been a 1099 guy. So I've kind of always been out on my own. Yeah. By the way, your uh, your LinkedIn is like sorely lacking in complete information. It's like you graduated and went off the grid for five years, and then all of a sudden you started a company. Yeah. So that gets into my stance on social media, which is um, I don't do it. And so um, 
at some point somebody told me I have to have it. And I was like, well then put it together. And uh, so that's what you see. That's what you see is what you get. And that's all you're going to (laughs) get. I love it. That's fine. That's fine. I I do. I mean, there's, there's a, I had a conversation earlier just about, you know, social has, it certainly has its pluses and minuses and maybe more minuses than pluses. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, it'd be naive of me to say that where business is concerned, it could not be a tremendous asset. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, I am working with uh, the team to try to build that up. I'm still holding out hope I can do that without having to be on it myself. Yeah, that's, I think there are plenty of people that do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. There's pe- if people can write books without ever putting pen to paper or uh, pressing a spacebar in, in anger, then uh, I think you can probably get somebody to run your social for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Vivicare and like how, what was the point where you're like, hell yeah, this is a great idea. We're going to do this. Like, how did we get there? Yeah. So, um, like I say, I was a 1099 sales guy and, um, my whole life I've kind of operated under this desire to own my own business. I mean, my dad will tell stories about when I was a kid and people would ask me because my dad's a veterinarian, if I was going to be a veterinarian too. And I would always say, I don't know, but I'm going to own my own business. Like that was kind of how (laughs) I answered people even as a kid before I probably even realized what that really meant or entailed. So I always kind of had my mind on that. And I would always kind of think, well, is there a business there? I never looked at it like I have to find the thing that nobody else has ever done and create that. I've always been a simpler, uh, probably more path of least resistance person where I'm like, what is an idea that is out there that people are doing that I can do and potentially execute on better than they can do. And um, so I have a partner both in my current business and in my nursing business, his name is Cole. And he worked for a company that did what we did at Vivicare at the national level. And both of us felt like we wanted to start a business together. So we had a lot of ideas, we threw a lot of ideas against the wall, scared our wives. We talked about <laughs> opening a Danish place. We were going to start a funeral home. We had a lot of different ideas, but, um, <laughs> but uh, hold on. Wait a second. You were going to, you were going to open a Danish shop, like a cafe. So that was his idea. I've never wanted to be in the restaurant business. Um, and so I said no to that pretty quick, but it was kind of like no idea is a bad idea. And we were constantly throwing ideas against the wall. Yeah. And so he thought, you know, like how this was a long time ago, but you know how like there's been the cupcake craze and the popsicle craze and all of this. There yep. was a time where he felt like that was going to be like the kolache or Danish was going to be kind of a craze. So we talked about that. That only lasted like 30 seconds, but we did discuss it. Um, there's a there's a whole podcast in that, by the way, which we're going to skip over. But yeah, we'll, we'll as well as there is in the funeral home, as morbid as it sounds, it's, it's no, it's good business. And I stand certain. by that. I would definitely I'm still interested in that. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, it's so anyway, that's kind of how the nursing thing came to be is he had done it. He had left and was doing other things and we were both turning 30 and, uh, just kind of decided, I think we can do this. And we started calling people, asking around the barrier to entry was fairly low from a financial standpoint. And, um, I think a theme for my life kind of professionally, if you will, but my wife would argue also recreationally is, um, I have a fairly, uh, morbidly high risk tolerance. Yeah. And, um, and so none of that ever scares me. Um, the things that scare me are funny. It's like, I have a fear of failure like I think everybody has, but my fear of failure is not having to walk it back with friends or family or the embarrassment of it. It's having to put my resume together and put myself out there (laughs) in like a normal quote unquote job thing is like, that's to me the scariest thing about adulting. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think there's some real stuff in that. Um, you mean that's kind of part of, I think that's part of what drives some of this is, is that what would scare me the most is having to put somebody else's Jersey on and go to, mm-hmm. you know, go over there and almost be like ad- admitting defeat. Right. Is, is going and doing that. Um, and that's a tough, that's a tough thing to swallow. So, um, all right. So, so you, so what was it about Vivicare that you, that you guys looked at it and you go, okay, this is how it's going to be a little bit different. Like there's a wave, we're going to ride it, but here's how we're going to ride it. That's going to be a little bit different. And, and how that, like what worked out of those initial ideas and then what didn't work? Like what were some of the things that, that you were like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And it wasn't. Yeah. So I think the first thing that uh, we did or we felt and and some of it, we probably felt like we were leaders in it more than we actually were. Maybe we just executed on it a little better. Mm -hmm. Um, but other people were attempting it, but, um, we both kind of have built our businesses under the philosophy of incentives matter. Mm -hmm. And in that business in particular, we felt like all the incentives were around the patient and the patient families. And obviously that's a critical component of it. You can't have the business without the patients, but we viewed it as we had three customers and the patients was what were one of those. But the but the caregivers and the payers were also clients, and we kind of approached them in that same mentality of we have to earn their business like you do the patient's business. And I think that that set us apart fairly quickly. People wanted to work for us. We were cool, you know, if you will. Um, <laughs> we weren't doing the same like corporate structure of things. We were... back to our risk tolerance, you know, probably uh, loose with HR and loose with some of these things almost in a risky way. Yeah. But, um, but in a way that people seem to really like, we also were, we've just always approached all of these things through this optimism and honesty where if we're honest and we're just straight with people, then things will work out for the best because people are so used to being told what they want to hear 
And that's not necessarily always the truth. And ultimately it comes around. And for us, we were able to do that. And and so people, I think, would say they notice that difference pretty much straight away. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, sometimes it's those little simple things, I think, that make a a huge difference, right? Yeah, I think that it's it's funny because it's kind of those butterfly in the stomach conversations that I'm talking about where it's like, man, I don't want to have this conversation. It's not going to go well. And you just kind of <laughs> dread it. But then the moment you have it, you just have this huge sense of relief. Um, and there's a lot of those conversations in business, whether it's with your employees or with your clientele or any of these things that we just found that if we approached it that way, ultimately it would be better even if it stung on the front end. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the, the thing we learned the most is it's never as bad as what you think it's going to be, you know, that conversation. Now, sometimes you're going to have somebody that acts irrationally and, you know, but that's the one out of a hundred. And yeah. typically people are, are, are really appreciative, I think, or just like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even realize that was happening. Let me figure out how to take care of that for you. Yeah. And then I think the second part of your question was like, what didn't work out? I mean, I think we had aspirations to take over the world, right? Where <laughs> we would come in and the way we did things and the way we operated would really revolutionize the industry, not just our company, but it would drive change amongst our competitors. It would drive change amongst payers. It would drive change in all of these different ways. And we didn't achieve that. Maybe we made a dent here or there. Maybe we didn't, but um, but that was certainly an aspiration that that probably we had to give up. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that goes maybe goes to the whole idea of like goal setting, right? If you set your goals so small that you can't, you know, and, and you achieve this tiny little goal that that's one thing, but if you set these really big goals and you don't even reach them, but you get halfway there, that's yeah. way better than those little goals you would have made. Right. Yeah. I mean, I always feel like goals, you know, they have the acronym of like, it has to be attainable and measurable and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, all smart the, goals. You know, the books that you read on that stuff or people read, not necessarily me, but they, um, <laughs> you know, I think that you need a mix of that, right? If you're not reaching for the stars to some extent, then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. And and at the same time, I think, did you, I don't know if you ever saw um, uh, Silicon Valley on HBO. Mm-hmm. You ever, mm-hmm. Such a great show. But I, I think, and in, in they went to some, you know, tech conference deal where everybody was presenting and their goal was always, oh, and to change the world. Right. right. Like it was always right. this additional, like, yeah. and also to change the world. Right. Yeah. So, I'm going to end world hunger. Uh huh. That's a, <laughs> quite literally. Yes. That was, uh, that was it. So, um, I'm, I'm, tr- I just got a notification. I was trying to, fr- I forgot to turn them off ahead of time. I don't know. They'll be in, they'll either be in this, there'll be some random dings in here. There yeah. Be, so we'll just move on. So, so then you, you you ended up building something really, I mean, nine years is a long time and it's not a long time, right? Which is how long Vivicare was around. And then what was the point where some, you know, where you guys decided, okay, we're going to, and you did sell the business, correct? We did. We exited in 2018. Yeah. So what at what point did you say, okay, we're going to sell it. 
how did that all come to, to fruition? Like, what was that? What was that? Yeah. Um, so I guess I would say when we started Vivicare, I don't know that I understood enough about business to say exiting is the, is the idea. Yeah. You know, I just kind of thought, well, I'll build this business and this is what I'll do. This will be my thing. Um, once you get into it, you kind of see other opportunities and other things that are out there. But we started uh, our software business like in 2014. Um, we needed software to run our business. There was nothing out there that was built for our business. There were systems out there that people were using that were built for other things that people were making work. And I think we were still cocky and dumb enough that we thought, well, we'll just build it. Can't be that hard. (laughs) And it turns out it's really hard and super expensive. But um, so we set out to build a software to run our business. And in doing so, really kind of fell in love with that aspect of it. Not so much from the standpoint of the work was more fun, even though sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It was more we can really impact the industry at a higher level if we're working with more people than just what our company can do. Mm-hmm. The second piece of it was we knew what we needed to do in our nursing business or services business, whatever you want to call it, to scale it. Um, but all of that stuff takes money. And we were using all of our money that we could use to scale to build software. Because as I mentioned, it's way more expensive than we thought it was sure. going to be. And um, so we kind of hit this point where we needed to either double down our investment on our services business, which would have negatively impacted the software, or double down on the software and exit out of the services business. And so we made the decision at that point to... open ourselves up for acquisition on the services side so that we could leverage all of that for the software. Yeah. Which that kind of sounds like a similar story, right? You, you start a business plan to go in one direction and then all of a sudden you're like, but wait, there's this thing over here that we had no intention of ever doing. And you, you went all in on it. So is this how Vivicare led to CubHub? Is this what the transition was there? Yeah, so this was how how it happened. So we were rocking along on our soft, on our services business. We were building out the software. We had kind of market tested the software and realized there was a real need for it mm-hmm. and started softly marketing it in 2016, like started taking on some clients and dealing with all of those issues that come with trying to scale through that and how it worked for our business but doesn't work for theirs people bigger than us, smaller than us, doing different service lines and hashing all of that out. And um, and so it just kind of kept becoming apparent that we were either going to have to bring somebody in on the software side that could help us or we were going to have to just go all in on it. Yeah. So which one did you do? We went all in. Okay. So, yeah. So we sold the services business. I remember vividly like the checks hit the bank and we went to have a beer to celebrate and called and hired our CTO. And that's where we really launched from there. Yeah. 
Okay. So I, I didn't realize, you know, obviously I knew about the two companies, but I didn't realize they were that interconnected and that it happened that quickly from one to the next. Yeah, it was by the time we exited the services business, I would say Cole and I were spending over 80% of our time just on software. Okay. All right. So that's probably a faster transition than most people, you know, when they exit, they, they don't, you know, don't always have a plan or right. you know, maybe didn't even expect to exit at the time. But then all of a sudden it's like y'all were, I mean, it was a daisy chain. Yeah. I think that without it, we probably, so it's one of those deals where the services side of things is a very um, segmented business and the acquisition market is pretty hot all the time. There's always acquisition stuff going on. So we got calls weekly for people wanting to buy us okay. and we just ignored them. Yeah. And so we just started answering and having cups of coffee with people. Once we decided it was time. That was going to be part of what was going to happen. Okay. So um, you're almost like the, so CubHub then starts right after, which is all software based, same industry, still same, you know, home health services, mm -hmm. but you even niche down when you, did the software talk about like the idea of kind of how you wanted to do that and why that what, what's worked there and how you yeah so so our services business was a pediatric specific business okay so pediatric home care which is a very niche business within the pediatric market most people when they think of home care think of you know somebody to come to grandma's house a couple of days a week and do chores or you know help with the meds or whatever um what we did in our pediatric business was was a lot different. It's what they call extended hourly. So we're there. Our caregivers are there for eight to 12-hour shifts. Sometimes we're there around the clock, seven days a week. Um, these are real high-acuity kiddos. So these are patients that are on ventilators and trachs. So it's like little NICUs running mm -hmm. inside each house. And um, the software side of it is really – so. In, the software world that's called an EMR, electronic medical record. And that really needs to house all of the clinical information, but also be able to handle that back office admin pieces with regards to HR, scheduling, hiring, billing, payroll, all of those pieces. And um, the reason that nothing is built specifically for that is because of the niche nature of the market. There are 30 pediatric, I mean, 30 Medicare companies for every pediatric company that's out there. And so when you just think of market size, if you're building a business, do you want the biggest market you can go into? And so everything was built for the big markets and then offered the workarounds for the PD side. We kind of took a different approach, which was we're going to focus exclusively on this and we're just going to own pediatrics. Um, yes, it's a smaller pie, but we're just going to take a bigger share of it yeah. and um, have really continued to double down on that. And still today are the only system that's built specifically on that platform and exclusively focuses on it. Okay. So what's the timeline since you started working on the software to today? What, how long ago did that? Yeah. So from the time we really first started is more where it was more than just an idea of maybe we should do this you know, it's probably 2014 to now. So it's been almost 10 years, but I would say really 2018 to now. So almost, I guess, five years, it was five years in August is when that's all I've been doing and everything I've 
my whole professional side of things is focused on that. Yeah. That's so that's, I mean, again, in the grand scheme of things is not really that long, but I still think the fact that you're the only 100% focused pediatric, you know, EMR system is still kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to us. I mean, we keep waiting to just get a Google alert or hear from somebody that somebody's coming out to compete with us in that way. We fully expect it. Um, but to this point, I mean, there's other people in the marketplace. Don't get me wrong. There are competitors we have that have built pediatric sides to their platform, but they're not solely focused on it in the way we are. Yeah. And software is one of those things that, you know, it's built on a foundation and you're somewhat limited to that. So I always use the analogy of like remodeling a house versus building a house from scratch. If you're taking a software platform that's built for one thing and adding something else on, you are limited to the structure that's already in place. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're building it on an empty lot, you can kind of do what you want. And so our foundation is different, which really just makes us more nimble. And, um, and so I don't know if that's why, or if there's just not enough money for these people that are backed by big, you know, investment groups where they're like, well, we don't want to do that. We want the big dollars. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, well, I think it goes back to the original thing you said, right? Software, building software is way harder and way more expensive. Exactly. And, and even though it's not a big secret that being niche and picking a market and sticking to that market is oftentimes the best way to go. It allows you not only to build something like, you know, very custom and specific for that person, but it serves their needs in a way that they're just not going to get anywhere else. But even in some some of those cases, it's just hard to say, okay, we only want, you know, 20% of this otherwise gigantic market. Right. I think it's a hard thing to, to do. It's a hard thing to do. And that's part of why we named it Cubhub, to be honest, because we had other names. We were doing other things, but we wanted to hold ourselves accountable to it as well. And so kind of put a kid thing in the name to make it, you know. That's that's honestly, that's a pretty smart way to approach it is holding yourself accountable to not going, well, what if we just kind of add this little scope creep over here and let it do that? Exactly. Cause just it's not that much. Market. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that much if people are like, well, we also do this. Could you build this for us? Well, maybe, but we have to make sure we keep our eye on the prize. Yeah. Which we've gotten much, much better at over the last couple of years. Yeah. We used to be a lot more ADD about everything. Well, that's, I mean, I think that, it's kind of when you, when you're creative enough to want to start a Danish company, uh, you, you sometimes get excited about shiny objects. Exactly. <laughs> so now, you know, five years dedicated, you know, almost 10 years through the ideation of it. What kind of, you know, what are some of the lessons you've learned in, in it and how do you, what are the things that are, that you're really excited about next in terms of growth and growth models and what you're planning? Yeah, I mean, I think the two things I think just between both businesses I've had to learn and get the had to make the most improvement in is my patience and my ability to compartmentalize. Um, neither of those things come naturally to me. And so um, to be the husband and father and friend and person I need to be outside of business time. Um, which, as you know, when you own your own business, it's not really a nine to five thing. It's just kind of like whatever's in front of you at whatever time. Yep. Um, you have to be able to compartmentalize those things. You have to be able to have a terrible conversation or have something go terribly wrong 
and then turn around and help your kid with algebra homework or go to dinner with the fam or go to the kids' games or whatever it is and not let on that the sky is falling around you um, <laughs> otherwise. And then with regards to patience, I think that I don't know if it's unique to me or this is universal across all entrepreneurs, but it certainly is of all the ones I've ever talked to is that nothing ever happens as fast as we want it to happen, whether that's closing a deal or getting something ready or growing or doing any of those things. It all takes longer than we think it should in our head and how we have it drawn up and um, to keep grinding when something takes six months longer than you feel like it should have, or you've had the same conversation 10 times, you know, those are the things I think I've had to grow the most in. Um, And then I think along with that becomes this, I have, I've had to get way better at making sure people understand my expectations. Um, Primarily I'm talking about our employees with that. But I can't just assume that because this is how I would have handled something or what I would have done that they know that intuitively. Um, I need to make sure they understand what it is I want to accomplish. Yeah, I think that's universal. I don't I think all those things are. Yeah, are normal. And, you know, I think the you kind of you, you touched on it a little bit, but it's also that, you know, that it's good for the client that you're about to go talk to, right? Like you, you see, you see everything about how it's going to help them and benefit them, but it just takes them so long to get there. You kind of want to shake them. You're like, what if we, right. why, what, what, yeah. why can't we get to, to, to the end goal at this point? Why are we still having the first conversation? Exactly. Yeah. So, and then I think the second part of that, you said something about where do I see it going or what, what was the second part of that? Well, yeah. So like, what are the, what are the growth? It seems like my, by the way, I have a a, a habit of asking you two questions at once. That's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Um, So the second part was growth wise. Like, what are you excited about next? And and what do you see the opportunities for you in terms of the next steps about how you're going to accelerate your market, you know, penetration? Yeah. So I think that um, to your earlier point of, you know, it hasn't been that long. We're still fairly, we're we're a fairly young organization. I think that what I'm excited about is um, what we've built to this point has really set us up for moving forward in a way that we can truly scale each department. So um some of it we learned in our first business. Some of it we wanted to accomplish. We knew we needed to do it in the last business. It just didn't work out for whatever reason. Some of it is emulating what we did there. But really having the foundation of everything built to where we can take each department and whether that's support or business development or account management or the dev side of things. And um, <clears throat> we really do have things at a point where we can truly start scaling those operations in a way that um, will build a machine that uh, that is scalable and replicatable and will be efficient. Um, and so I'm excited for that challenge. Um, it's not something I've done at this level before with regards to, um, I probably had this many or more employees when I was had my services business, but we weren't, um, we weren't segmented in that same way. It was more just like 
the clinical side and the non-clinical side. This is really a lot of different segments of business and trying to bring in people that um, are not necessarily from our internal network that know us for years and years. And so we can just hit the ground running all of those things and people just expect things from us because they know who we are. But we're bringing in people that don't know us at all and able to bring them up to speed and get them going and make them successful. Uh, that's really what I'm looking forward to over the next couple of years. Okay. That's, that's a lot though. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, it is a lot, but it's, I think that it's important to continue to add those challenges, at least for somebody like me who, um, the thing I like least about any job is doing the same thing over and over. I kind of constantly need new stuff. And I think I learned that through the services business where um, people always ask me, like, are you glad you sold it? And I always tell them I have no regrets. And uh, it's not because I've made enough money to go buy an island. I did not. But it's it's more because I think what I like to do is I like to start stuff. I like to start it. I like to get it going and I like to get it to a point where it is um, more than just operational, but it is sustainable. And then I'm kind of ready for the new thing. And so I think that having a company now where I'm able to not have to leave this company to do that is exciting to me to be able to have those same challenges, but within my current organization. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the plateaus that you hit essentially, and you're coming right. like, okay, well, we've got it here, but if we want to get it there, then right. it's almost you're almost rebuilding the organization from the inside. Exactly. Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, um, so you know, I guess outside of that, um, have you have you started anything else? You got any other ideas that are uh, been creeping around in your head? So. I mean, I have a side business of hard money lending, which you kind of mentioned a little bit in the intro, probably don't have time to get into all that. That's more of just something to do. Um, I think that at some point, maybe it becomes something, but right now I don't, I don't focus on it too much. I think in a perfect world, if I could draw, write my own script, which I don't necessarily believe in, but if I could, um, I think that this current business would put me in a place, whether it's through just the way the business continues to run or through an exit of it, that um, I can find something to do that is less about trying to create a company that dominates a market and more, what can I do to give back in some way? Um you know, uh, whether that is to use the skills and talents and resources that I have to help an organization that is trying to become what we did, or it is to build something new from scratch, or it's to join or start a program that teaches people some of these things that we've had to learn the hard way, you know, such as how to deal with all the different accounting aspects of owning a business or the economics of it, or to go through an acquisition or these different things. I don't know where all that lands and I don't know. It's something that does occupy a spot in my mind, Mm -hmm. but um, 
Right now, I think it's probably somewhere between three and five years out. And so it's kind of one of those things that I do spend some time thinking about, but it's certainly not fleshed out yet. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Um, I was listening to another podcast, which I should name, but I can't remember the name of right now, but they focus on, you know, three aspects of the interview. And the, and the last part of it is how are you giving back? Right. It's like, how are you making money? You know, how are you investing right. money? And then how are you giving back? And I really, really like that. And um, I think there's a lot in there that's a challenge in and of itself, because typically you'll find, I don't want to say typically, and this that's not fair. What I've found in a lot of cases is organizations that are built around um, being a nonprofit or helping serve another um, uh, part of the you know human race is that they're not really run like businesses very right. well, even though they should be. And while their heart's in the right place, a lot of the other stuff is not in the right place and it becomes a really big challenge um, to figure out how to help. Or, you know, I love small businesses. I love entrepreneurs that start stuff. And I just think it's such a cool place to be, but there's, it's hard to help in a lot of cases and you kind of just got to let them do their own journey sometimes. Right. Right. No, I think, I mean, I think that's getting into where that comes from is it's, you know, whether it's been a success or a failure, I think that it's more just to your point, there's a lot of people out there that are doing a lot of really good things in this world, way better than I'm doing any given day. <laughs> um, but uh, those aren't necessarily the people that are equipped to deal with some harsh realities of the world. And maybe that's my role is to come in and be the guy that lacks empathy altogether. And that's what that organization lacks. Yeah. And I can do that. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Where can they hunt you down and your non-existing social media? Right. So I, I do have a LinkedIn page as, as minimalist as it may be. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can always find me at Venmo if you want to send me some money. And then uh, I'm at uh, our website is cubhub.io and my email is there, but my email is just bread at cubhub.io. So. Well, thank you for spending the time today. This is this has been awesome catching up. And obviously, even though we've known each other for just shy of 15 years, I learned stuff today that I didn't know about you. So Okay. Well, awesome. No, yeah. it's been good. Thanks for having me. Yep. Time well served. All right, man. Thank you. <laughs>